The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 14 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC14. This is Secret Church 14, Episode 3. Open up study guide. Foundation, I hope, now laid for a gospel framework for approaching everyday life. So now, now, I hope we're now ready to hear the commands of Christ for what they are. The commands of Christ are an expression of his love to us and a promise from him that he'll give us everything we need to obey them. So he lives in us. And so the rest of tonight, we're going to talk about what his life looks like in action on a daily basis. So as we talk about different commands, starting with these two greatest commandments in Mark 12, as you hear every one of these commands the rest of tonight, hear them as invitations for you to enjoy God's grace and relationship with him as you exalt God's glory to the ends of the earth. A relationship that is only possible by the cross of Christ. So Jesus says in Mark 12, uh, end of this passage, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So, so I was thinking through, praying through, okay, everyday life, what needs to be guiding us, framework, these two commands come to the forefront. So what does this look like practically? What does it look like to live every day, to love God, enjoy God, exalt God with all your heart and soul? This is where scripture calls us to daily prayer. So in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And Jesus teaches his followers to pray. You get down to Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For I love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard because of many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So this is a call to daily prayer. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you give, forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this passage and others like it, Luke 11, lead to questions about daily prayer. So why do we pray every day? And I want to give you three reasons. One, we pray daily to express the depth of our daily need for God. Let us then draw Draw near to the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So our conviction every day in prayer is we can do nothing without Christ. Jesus told us this, John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So don't miss this. The, the prayer is the intersection between our complete inadequacy to live out the Christian life on our own and God's complete adequacy to give us all we need as his children so we might live in and through him like we've talked about. And in this sense, there is no activity in the life of a Christian that doesn't require a prayerful attitude, a prayerful dependence on God to do that which we can't do ourselves. Just like we talked about in the daily struggle between the flesh and the spirit, because sin still remains in us. We're prone not to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We're prone not to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need God's grace, God's power, God's provision for everything we do every single day. So this is, in a sense, not just a call to daily prayer. It's a call to continual, moment by moment, prayerful dependence on God, which means, and this is huge, we even need his grace to pray. 
So our confession every day in prayer is, Lord, teach me to pray, which is exactly what the disciples do in Luke 11, 1. We, we want to learn to pray. So we pray to express the depth of our daily need for God. Second, we pray to explore the mystery of daily intimacy with God. Did you hear what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? When you pray, don't heap up empty words. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need. So God is not up in heaven with a steno pad writing down your request, saying, man, I hadn't even thought about that. Like, it's a good one. No, he already knows what you need. Now that causes some people to wonder, well, what's the point then? And as soon as you ask that question, you are now on the verge of an incredible breakthrough in prayer. Because the heart of prayer is what happens when you're in a room alone with the Father in heaven, and you realize there's intimacy to be found with him. Intimacy. That's why I put Exodus 33 in your notes. Because, well, listen to this. Moses used to take the tent, pitch it outside the camp. So this is an Old Testament picture, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, listen to this, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Can you imagine that? Like you're sitting in your tent, hanging out, playing cards or whatever you do in tents in that day. And so you're, you're, you're hanging out in the tent and all of a sudden Moses starts walking and word gets around. He's going to the tent of meeting. And so you come out in front of your tent and you stand there and everybody in Israel is standing at the front of their tents and they're watching in silent awe as they see a man go into a tent, a cloud come down and covered, and everybody's in silent, worshipful awe because there's a man who's meeting with God. Huh. Now you realize, based on what we've talked about, some foundation we've laid, like we don't have to sit around and wait for some dude to walk to a tent. You and I have this privilege on a moment-by-moment, moment, day-by-day basis. We don't have to go to a tent. Like, you are the tent. <laughs> You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have this opportunity every single moment. What a joy to have intimate communion with God anytime, all the time. Draw near to God, experience intimacy with God. This is what I want to remind you. The most important thing in your life is not your job. It's not your finances. It's not your family. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your potential husband or wife. You're not your kids. It's not your football team for sure. The most important thing in the world is your personal relationship with God. So set aside a time. Go to a place. Find a room. Close the door and pray. This one practice will totally revolutionize your life. Not just revolutionize your prayer life, it'll revolutionize your life. Set aside a time, you go to a place, and you receive your reward. Jesus is saying the Father has so much for you. If you want to experience all he has for you, then this is how you should pray. We pray to explore the mystery of intimacy with God, and we pray to experience the power of daily being used by God. So the Bible is just replete with promises from God in prayer, because God has ordained prayer as a means by which we participate with him and his purposes in the world. As we pray, God acts. Now, it's not that we're changing God's mind or changing God's plans. I don't want to change God's mind or God's, God's plans. How ridiculous would it be for me or you with our finite knowledge and finite wisdom to say to an infinite God with unfathomable wisdom, here's what I think's best. Why don't you conform your will to mine? No, we trust God. And as we do, we pour out our hearts 
to him. Psalm 50, 15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So here's the design of prayer. We ask for help in our lives to live according to the purpose for which he's created us. And when we ask, we get the help and God gets the glory. Now, I put in your notes here, the prayer, power of prayer is useless. And here's what I mean by that. So don't throw me out as a heretic just yet. Because in and of itself, Prayer as an exercise is useless. There's all kinds of people in the world who pray. Muslims pray, Hindus pray, Buddhists pray, animists of all kinds pray. They pray. Even Congress prays. Big deal. 1 Kings 18 is an example of people praying to Baal. And the lesson's clear. When you pray to a God who's not there, don't expect an answer. So our goal is not just to be a people of prayer. What matters most is the object of our prayer, right? So the power of prayer in that sense is in and of itself useless. But the power of people who connect with Almighty God is unstoppable. Evident in 1 Kings 18, reiterated in James, who said the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like us, and he prayed fervently in the might and rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So my, my aim in calling us to prayer is not just to call us to set aside a few minutes or an hour or more to, to pray. My aim is to see that as children of God, we have the privilege of connecting with the creator of the universe, that we can do nothing without him, that we've been invited to experience intimacy with him and to join with what he's doing in the world, which leads us to the next question. Who do we pray to every day? So who is the object of our prayers? Pray then like this, Matthew 6, 9, our father in heaven. Now Luke 11, which gives the account of the Lord's prayer there, tells a story to give a picture of who the father is that we're praying to. Listen to this story. Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend? Well, has a friend. Well, go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will, be fi- you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be open. Okay, that's a great story. Just get the picture here. First century Palestine, food not quite as readily available as it is today. No late night Taco Bells. So there's a battle for bread every day. You bake enough to meet that day's needs. So a guy shows up at his buddy's house at midnight and he's hungry. Now, first century Palestine, hospitality was huge. So the buddy has a dilemma. One option, he can be a poor host and not get this guy any food. His second option is to go try to find bread from somebody else. So it's either be a poor host or a poor neighbor. He takes what's behind door number two. His neighbor, already fast asleep, enjoying his dreams, not only sleep, but everybody else in the house asleep. And houses in that day were one-room affairs, which meant that everybody in the family slept in, you got it, one room. Family sleeping, using the same bed on the same mat, you get kid one down, kid two down, kid three down for bed, and you get the, you and the wife lay down, bolt the door closed, and you're going to sleep. Ain't nobody getting up, going to the bathroom without causing a major commotion in that house. Everything is quiet. So while this nice guy is asleep on the mat with his wife and kids, all of a sudden, knock comes the door. And the guy on the outside says, friend, that's a good way to start when you're waking up somebody at midnight for a piece of bread. Because friendship is walking a tight line at this point. Because when that dad wakes up, he starts looking around. Any dad can picture it. Little eyes on the mat next to him starting to pop open. It's one thing to wake up dad. It's a whole other ballgame when you're waking up the kids in the middle of the night. This friend thing is seriously in question at this point. So the guy inside, not too happy right now, and he says in the most polite way possible, don't bother me. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving you a thing. 
And then Jesus says, even though the guy won't get up because he's a friend, because that's in question, he will get up because the guy is impudent, which means bold, literally shameless. Shameless. He keeps asking the guy until he finally gets up out of bread, bed and gives him some bread. Now, here's the thing about parables. We hear them and we think, okay, somebody in the parable is me and somebody in the parable is God, right? So the disciples thinking, okay, I think we're like the guy knocking on the door. Okay, and so who's God? The grumpy old guy inside yelling, don't bother me. Like this is kind of weird, hard to understand. Well, think about what is Luke 11 teaching us about prayer? (laughs) Okay, if you want something from God, you just keep banging on the door and eventually he'll get up and do something for you. Not because he loves you, because you've just bothered him to death. So let's pray. No, that's not, it's not the takeaway, not the point of the story. The point of the story all comes back to this boldness, this shamelessness. Some translations say annoyingly relentless. And we'll only understand the parable rightly when we look at it through the lens of the man in need. So follow this. Jesus tells the story from this guy's perspective. So you got to keep his perspective throughout the whole thing. Resist the temptation to try to compare God to the friend inside. Just put yourself in this guy's shoes. Jesus phrases the whole thing as a question. He says, imagine that if you were bold enough, shameless enough to go to your friend at midnight just to ask him for a piece of bread. In other words, imagine somebody with enough nerve to knock on his friend's door at midnight just to get a piece of bread. I think the picture Jesus is painting here is a guy who's, well, in one sense, just rude. One of the, those guys who just doesn't know which social lines to cross and which ones not to. You know that kind of person? Or are you that kind of person? The guy who doesn't seem to get the hint, i.e. you don't wake up your buddy and his entire family at midnight unless you've got a really good reason. But this guy doesn't know that. He's shameless. He is so socially out of it that he actually thinks it's no big deal to wake his friend up in the middle of the night. He won't mind. I need some bread. I know he's got it. He won't mind me bothering him in the middle of the night. And I know that he'll get up and give some for me. Get, get some for me. No problem. That's how we should approach God. Think about it. In prayer, we approach God, our Father, so now in your notes there, who has all authority. So the whole earth belongs to him, Psalm 24. He has the supply. He has the supply. I love this in Psalm 50, midway through that passage. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. God has the supply. He has the sovereignty. In other words, he has the authority to do with everything, whatever he wants. So we pray to our God, our Father, who has all authority and to God, our Father, who is always approachable. So this guy knew his friend was able to meet his need and he was shameless enough to think that his friend wouldn't mind him coming at such an inopportune time. And it's in this picture of this shameless guy that we realize that the God, follow this, the God of the universe who has all the supply and all the sovereignty has actually invited you and me to come to him any time at any day. He says in Psalm 27, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. This story is a perfect illustration. It's a perfect illustration of us going to God and saying, I, I know it's, may feel a little inappropriate to interrupt you because you're running a universe and you got all these things going on, but I just need you to sit down and listen to me and look at me and don't be distracted because I've got some things I need to share. Doesn't that seem a bit over the top? But it isn't. The picture here is shameless nerve, a boldness, and it seems almost ludicrous for us to be going in the presence of the God of the universe, but Jesus is saying, be as invasive as you want. Be shameless. Here's the point. I think Jesus is saying that God delights in revealing himself to those who are bold enough to bother him. And I hesitate to use that word bother because of negative connotations, but but it's not always negative. Think about it this way. 
when I'm, when I'm really busy, uh, either with things around here or maybe, maybe I'm traveling and just, and, and my wife, Heather, has something heavy on her heart and she calls me on the phone if I'm out of town or she comes to me and she says, I don't want to bother you with this. What am I going to say? I'm going to say to my wife, Heather, this is the kind of stuff I want you to bother me with. I delight in being the one that you want to bother with the problems and struggles and heartaches in your life. It would bother me if you didn't come to me, right? God has given you, as his child, full access to his presence. And he says, I want to be bothered by the things that are heavy on your heart, the struggles you're walking through. I delight in being the one that you want to bother with these things. Ladies and gentlemen, the God of the universe is approachable, and he has invited you to unburden your heart shamelessly before him. Jesus is not saying, don't bother the Father with the trifling things in your life. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying you have freedom to ask and seek and knock. God invites us to bother him anytime. It is never too early. It is never too late. God invites us to to bother him in everything. We, We sometimes think we're praying for what may not be important enough to warrant mention in time with God. But look at the story. It's not an emergency. And this guy's not saying, my wife's having a baby or my wife is dying. My kid broke his leg. We've got a robber in the house. He's in the middle of the night. He said, I just want some biscuits. And it's <laughs> presumptuous to say the least. I mean, <laughs> the guy's not going to die. He just waits till breakfast. Tell him to go to bed. He'll forget he's hungry when he falls asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing too small to bring before God. Our simplest prayers are not insignificant to God. There are no minor matters. It's why Nehemiah prays here, Lord, just strengthen my hands. My my hands are hurting. Nothing too small. There's nothing too great. We can pray about mustard seeds and mountains. We can pray about colds as well as cancers. It's not about the size of our prayers, but the maintenance of a relationship. The Bible never cautions us about the magnitude of our prayers. Let me, let me ask you, what are, the, what are the great things you're praying for? I mean, the things that if, if somebody else knew you were praying for this, you'd think, they'd think you lost your mind. I got a couple of those kind of things that I'm praying for. I'm not going to tell you what they are. But there's nothing too great. Nothing will be impossible with God. I didn't put it here, but Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petitions, present your request to God. And in the Greek original language of the New Testament, that word everything means everything everything. We pray to God our Father who's always approachable, and we pray to God our Father who's ever active. So this, this guy thought, my friend's able. I know he'll have some bread. He's approachable. He won't mind me knocking on the door, and he's active. He'll get up and give me some. Now here's the picture we need to see. Contrary to the friend inside the house, God is not asleep. When we pray, we're not trying to arouse a sleeping giant. We don't have to wake God up. And, and we know this, but we, we, we don't always really know this. Have you ever thought that God might be asleep in your life? Like, why is this happening? Or why is that happening? And so when we pray, it's almost like we're praying for God to get up and do something. Let a Luke 11 be a reminder to you, God is active. He has not gone to sleep on you. Even though it makes no sense, he is active in your life. Isaiah 40, 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Now that leads us to the privilege we need to embrace. This story is primarily about asking someone for a need to help another person. It's not just a picture of a personal petition, but asking for something on behalf of somebody else. In prayer, that's what the Bible calls intercession. Intercession is the means by which we participate in the daily activity of God in other people's lives. So God's not asleep. He's active. He's working in the lives of people all around us. And he has chosen to evolve us in his work through our prayers on their behalf. You go back to the earlier question. If God is sovereign... 
He's all-knowing, and he's purposed everything from beginning to the end, then what's the point of praying? And this is where we realize that our praying is also a part of that purpose, that plan. And we have the joy of participating in the plan and purposes of God in our lives, in our communities, around the world, by falling on our knees, interceding on behalf of those who are hurting. That's exactly what we read about in Exodus 32, Psalm 106. This is why when we were praying just a minute ago for Turkey, we know, we know Christ has died to purchase people from among the Turks and Kurds and every other people group on the planet. He's going to save them. He's, he's working right now in Turkey. God is working in Turkey right now. We're not trying to arouse a sleeping giant. He's working in Turkey. And he's given you and I the privilege of being a part of that work for the last however many minutes from our knees crying out to him. And he uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes in the world. We get to be a part of what he's doing in Turkey from wherever you are. And I think there's a church here from Chunky, Mississippi. Chunky, Mississippi. And in Chunky, Mississippi, you can be a part of what God's doing in Turkey. Chunky, Turkey. So, (laughs) so the promise we need to remember is that prayer to God is never, ever in vain. Prayer to God is never, ever in vain. Ask will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, who seeks, finds, and who knocks, the door will be open. Now, you read that and you think, well, I've asked for things and I've not gotten them. So what does that mean? Well, that leads to the next question. What do we pray for every day? And here's the daily secret to prayer. It's twofold. One, make your wants God's wants. Psalm 37, desire what God desires. This is the mystery of intimacy that we're talking about. So in, in prayer... You go in your room, you close the door, get alone with God, you begin to want what he wants. You begin to long for what he longs for. And this is key in prayer, because if we skip this step, we'll miss the whole point of prayer altogether. We can't go on to step two here. So make your wants what God wants, and then step two, ask for whatever you want. And it will be done for you, Jesus says. So what do we ask for? What what do we ask for? What does God want? Based on how Jesus taught us to pray, one, we ask God for his glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's not an ascription of praise to God as much as it's a petition for God to be praised. God, cause your name to be hallowed, to be known as holy in all the earth. Cause your name to be known as holy in my life, my family, my church, in the world. As the great God who's the sovereign Father in heaven, the Holy One above all, God shows 2 Samuel 7 that there's none like you. There's no no God besides you. You pray in for Turkey, you show there's only one God. His name's Jesus. You pray in that, you know you're praying according to what God wants. He's going to make it happen. He's the coming king. So our consistent cry is cause people to hallow your name. Bring people to submit to your kingdom. Enable people to obey your will. Enable me, my family. Oh God, may your will be done in my life. May your will be done in my family. May your will be done in the church as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that God promises to answer. And then ask God for his gifts. Give us to stay our daily bread. God satisfies our hunger on a daily basis. The whole picture here goes back to Exodus 16 when God's people were wandering in the wilderness. God provided them with food, bread from heaven, manna on a daily basis. They wake up in the morning. God would literally give them their daily bread. It would last for a day. They'd depend on him for the supply for the next day. And he did this. Deuteronomy 8.3 tells us to sustain their faith on a daily basis. So God satisfies our hunger on a daily basis and he sustains our faith on a daily basis. We need to pray like this. We live, most of us gathered tonight, live in a culture where praying like this makes almost no sense to us because we're so well off that it doesn't make sense for us to pray to ask God for daily bread. But this is exactly where the problem lies. We're people who have so much, we've grown so accustomed to depending on our 
our own things to satisfy us instead of our God. We don't need to ask for daily bread. Most of us didn't ask for it today. At the beginning, I got to provide food today in the way that many brothers and sisters around the world are because we think, well, we can take care of that on our own. God, help us to realize we, we can't. I'm convinced the more I look at my own life as well as the state of Christianity and Western culture around me, that one of the greatest reasons we're so casual and flippant with prayer is because we actually believe we can sustain ourselves. And we can't. God alone can satisfy our hungers and God alone can sustain our faith. And prayer, prayer is the guard in our lives that keeps us from thinking that this world can give us what we want when only God can do that. So we ask God for his gifts and we ask God for his grace. Forgive us our debts. Four simple words that open the door to the vast storehouse of heaven's mercy. And here's the beauty. The more we grow in prayer, the more we grow in intimacy with God, the more we'll realize our constant need for his grace. Constant. When we pray, we experience his forgiveness. You say, well, why do I have to ask for forgiveness? When we talked about earlier, foundation, I've already been forgiven in Christ. And this is where we need to picture, not, not a courtroom where judgment is being pronounced here. God has already in Christ declared you not guilty before him. Instead, picture a family where a child is confessing something he's done wrong. Not so he can remain part of the family, that's not up for question, but so that nothing will hinder that child's intimacy with his mom or dad. And in this way, when we pray like Psalm 51 teaches us to pray, we experience our Father's forgiveness continually, on a daily basis, specifically, not just confessing sin generally, but specifically examining our hearts. And as we experience His forgiveness, we then extend it to others. We must extend it to others. Our intimacy with God, Jesus says, is dependent on it. Finally, we ask God for His guidance. Lead us not, guidance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that God might entice or tempt us to sin. Instead, it's an acknowledgement of our tendency to wander away from him. We're weak, and because we are, we know that we're compelled to pray that he'll give us protection amidst temptation we face, just like 1 Corinthians 10 promises, and he gives perseverance amidst trials we encounter, James chapter 1. Now, all this you may be thinking, all right, where, where, where do I start practically? This is where I want to give you, I put an alternate way to think about daily prayer. I'm not sure I put alternate there, so... You can cross that out. This is just a way to think about daily prayer. Um, but yeah, so go in a room, close the door, and pray. So use that acrostic, P-R-A-Y. Just four steps to maybe help you remember. All right, what do I do when I close the room alone with the Father in heaven? Start with praise. Just worship God for who he is. I, I put Psalm 63 earlier in your notes. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Like it's just, it's just pouring out your heart to God to express who He is. And oh, and, and maybe that's maybe that's writing down just attributes of God or prayers of praise, maybe just crying out. Maybe, maybe you're doing this sitting down or standing up, maybe on your knees, maybe on your face before God. Maybe you, you turn on some music somewhere in there. You praise, you worship God for who He is. And sometimes you just keep going and going because this is, you're enjoying exalting God. This is what relationship looks This is not just duty. Okay, let me get in here and check off a list and get out. No, this is relationship. We're worshiping God for who He is. And then R, repent. Confess your sin to God and acknowledge your need for Jesus. Confess your sin. I mean, examine your heart. Where am I sinning? What am I doing or not doing? 
And oftentimes I write this out. And you might be tempted to think, well, that's just depressing. And dwelling on your sin, writing out all the specific ways you've sinned against God. But this is not depressing. For God, your Father, delights in forgiving you and in restoring you. Repentance always leads to restoration of relationship. Even better, we're reminded as we're repenting, we're confessing sin, that our sins have been paid for by Christ. And then repentance just leads to deeper and deeper rest in Christ. Praise, repent, and and ask. So intercede for particular needs in your life and others' lives. Ask God for his glory. Ask God for his grace. Ask God for his gifts. Ask God for his guidance. God, your name be hallowed in my life, in this person's life, in this country, in this current event. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, in this person's life, in your church. Give us this day our daily bread. I need you for this today. Other people around me, they need, this person needs this. This person needs that. There's so many ways you can approach this kind of asking intercession. I would encourage you in in two particular ways. Spontaneous and planned. This isn't in your notes. This is just no extra charge. Spontaneous. So just what comes in your mind when you're in in the room alone with the Father? What comes in your mind? Things to pray for in your life, others' lives. So just spontaneous. But I would encourage you also to be be planned. So just personally, I I have a prayer list that I pray for specific and different things in my life on a daily basis. And my life for my wife, Heather, for our kids. I pray one day specifically for this and, and their lives and then something different on another day, something different. I just want to be intentional in my praying for them. I pray for different friends on different days, for uh, the church in different ways on different days, for the elders and staff of our church by name on different days over the course of the week and praying for other churches in Birmingham and, and churches in North America and church planning teams that we send out just Monday through Friday. I want to be intentional about prayer. So, uh, I would encourage you not, not to, to be so planned that it just becomes rote and you're just kind of reading off a list. Like That's not the point. But I think it's healthy to be intentional about asking God for things that you want to see Him do in the world according to His Word and people's lives right around you. 1 Samuel 12, 23, far be it from me that I should sin against God by failing to pray for you. I want to be intentional about this but also leave room for spontaneity. All that leads us to yield in prayer, surrender your life to following Jesus wherever and however he leads you. So you praise and repent and ask for these things in your life and others' lives. And so it just makes sense. Your life's going to be different. You prayed your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. So now it just makes sense to pray. Lead me, guide me, deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. I want to walk with you. And when I spend that time in prayer in the morning with the Lord, I just kind of walk through every single thing that I know is coming that day, meetings or this or that, and just pray through every single detail that I know and just pray for sensitivity to things I don't know, people I don't know that I'm going to meet or interact with and opportunities that are going to be there. So you're dwelling with God, Psalm 84, in a concentrated way in, in the morning, for example, or obviously you can do this any time of day, but I think it's good to start morning that way. And then it just fuels continual prayer all day long. I believe prayer is key to living every day, to loving God with all your heart and soul. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.